0: Today we're talking about the Lord's Supper. Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can be together and on this beautiful day to open up the scriptures and to encourage one another and to learn how grateful we ought to be for what you've done for us as we look into the glories of our mutual salvation. May we have grace and wisdom to learn, and to grow. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, you'll see as I've been teaching means of grace, and you might say how what God uses when accessed by faith to change us, to, to conform us to the image of Christ. And at the very beginning of this, I said that To call something a means of grace, we're not just saying you have to be Lutheran, okay? But we want to understand what the scripture says, and I introduced this whole topic with the story of Naaman in the Old Testament, how Elijah told him what he needed to do to be rid of his leprosy, and he thought, well, that's not anything too great, I'm not going to do it, I'm just going to go back home. And his servant talked sense into him and said, why don't you just go do what the man of God said, which was something accessible, go dip into Jordan. And so he had a command from God to go dip into Jordan. So here we have for us under the new covenant, there must be a command from God. And I list what those are in the things found in Acts 2.42. Okay, so God's told us to do this. And we'll see this command here momentarily in Matthew 26. There must be a promise from God. Okay, because our faith rests in the promises of God. When I was a new Christian in 1971, one of the songs they sang in the church where we went was Standing on the Promises. Remember that old song? Standing on the promises of God. And those simple but profound people who were so thankful for salvation were standing on the promises of God and very glad to sing about it. Okay? And then, there, this must be accessible. God doesn't put his means for us to come to him and grow in him off somewhere where we can't get okay when Naaman came to Elijah Elijah didn't say well go to the Himalayas and climb the highest mountain he didn't say that he said go dip into Jordan okay and you can see that in Romans chapter 10 this word I command you is not in heaven that you should say you're down at the bottom of the ocean but it's very near you, in your mouth, that you may hear it and do it. Okay, so that's accessible. It says that right here in our, our chart under the word of God. Means of grace are accessible, word of God. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Prayer, we have a high priest who prays and intercedes for us and answers our prayer. Fellowship, we talked about that in First John. And now the Lord's Supper, that's what we're on. And this is to be accessible to all. So let me read the text, Matthew 26, 26 through 30. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, Eric preached an excellent message on the Lord's Supper from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And it's on our website. So the passage in 1 Corinthians 11, if you want to learn from that, I come into you, Eric's sermon. Today, we're going to study the same idea, but from Matthew 26. Okay? And I'm going to show you how, indeed, the Lord's Supper is a means of grace. Now, this meal that they were having, Jesus and the disciples, was a Passover meal. But Jesus is going to take the traditional Passover meal and use it to become the meal that commemorates the new covenant. They were commemorating that God had brought them out of Egypt to himself and made them a people. That was the idea of the Passover, when God passed over them, when he saw the blood. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. That's the scripture in the Old Testament. Jesus is the one who is instituting the new covenant. And this meal is commemorating God's act of deliverance and salvation, which becomes the ground of the new covenant. We'll see that in the text. Therefore, we have a covenant meal instituted by jesus christ commanded by jesus christ attended with promises from jesus christ and therefore accessible to all christians or ought to be so we have a means of grace now as we study this i'm going to reject any magical views any pagan views This isn't magical, this isn't pagan, this isn't some sort of Greek substance theory. This was a Jewish Passover practiced by Jesus and his disciples, but given new meaning by our Lord Jesus Christ. It saddens me when I see Christians with so little respect for Jesus Christ. Why would any Christian lack respect for Jesus, but you can prove that jesus taught something and their eyes glaze over they don't care that's sad that's really wrong we need to love and honor jesus and listen to him he's the head of the church even if he says things that aren't in our tradition what's authoritative jesus teaching or our own traditions i would say jesus is teaching so, we're going to go back to the source. Now, in this first verse, verse 26, let me show you all the work that I do, and I know Eric does as well, and Adam. I start with the Greek, so I have the Greek here, and then I parse it out. And one of the things I've done f- for the last year or two is I look and see if there's any imperatives. Why would I particularly look for imperatives? They're generally commands from God, unless they're contained within a quotation where somebody says something to somebody else. So here's a command from God. Now, there's three imperatives here in verses 26 to 27. 26 has two. The two imperatives are take, eat. Isn't theology complicated? (laughs) (laughs) Don't be like Naaman. Oh, don't you have something better than that? I thought he would wave his hands in the air and say some magical words. No. Take. Eat. That's the command of God. Now, this was a blessing that would have followed the line of how they kept Passover. So it says after a blessing, that's a good translation. See, we tend to think about blessing the food. Okay. That's how we, and we do that. And, but that's not how they did it. Okay. They blessed God who gave the food. Have you heard that before? It's it's a good thing to know. So here it's saying that he he had a blessing. Now, what is the blessing that they would typically use? Let me quote that to you. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, king of the world, who brings forth bread from the earth. And all the people said, amen. Blessed are you. Lord our God, king of the world, who brings forth bread from the earth. So they blessed God who gave the food. So there, you learned something in church, I hope. <laughs> Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples. And here's the command, it's in red up here. Take, eat. This is my body. Now, those last four words have been subject to, to much abuse in church history. And the Roman Catholic Church has concocted a huge doctrine out of this that had nothing to do with Jesus, the disciples, the Jewish Passover, or Christian communion. Okay? And you see it in other denominations where they want to have a magical view. What we have here. Okay, take eat is the command. This is my body does not imply that the bread magically becomes something it wasn't before. It is bread. It was bread. It continues to be bread. Church tradition is not binding or authoritative on Christians. People have been killed over this. People's wars have started over it. And people have been driven from Churches. But we must go back to scripture, sola scriptura, the authority of scripture, the priesthood of every believer. Now, if we look at Matthew thirteen thirty-eight, if you want to turn to that, you can. This is in the Gospel of Matthew, and it shows Semitic realism. Now, remember, when the bread was broke, Jesus had blessed God who gave it. Jesus standing there broke it, and Jesus says, this is my body. Now, would anybody think that some Greek substance theory of transubstantiation had just happened? The context would make that interpretation utterly absurd, and nobody would have thought that. Now, just to show how this works... At starting with, I'm going to read Matthew 13:38. And the field is the world. Now, if you were thinking of a literal field, would you believe the field really is the whole world? No, it represents the world. And, the, a, and as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom and tares are the sons of the evil one. So that's Matthew 13:38. This, In that context, shows Semitic realism. Nobody thinks the tares really are everybody that's not a Christian. Nobody thinks the field literally is the whole world. But implied is the idea of represents. So the bread signifies the body of Christ, not some later theory concocted by people with too much time on their hands. This is what it is. And as much as I love Luther, I cannot agree with the Lutheran doctrine consubstantiation, which is similar to the Catholic, but not exactly the same. Now, let me quote Craig Bloomberg from the New American Commentary, and then we'll go to the next slide. Bloomberg says this, Jesus now invests the bread with new meaning. It foreshadows his body figuratively broken, and literally killed at his upcoming death. Jesus' words here have led to massive debates, inter-Christian persecution, and huge theological edifices, the weight of which they cannot bear. The doctrines of transubstantiation in brackets, the bread and wine become Christ's actual body and blood, or consubstantiation which is the lutheran doctrine by the way that's me saying that in brackets jesus is really present in with and under the elements unbracketed makes no sense of jesus's words in their historical context as jesus holds up a loaf and declares this is my body no one listening whatever imagine he's claiming the bread to be the literal extension of his flesh Nobody would believe that. Nobody would think that. And the whole idea is utterly absurd. And so somebody says, well, brilliant minds believe that. Well, I don't care how brilliant somebody is. Absurd is absurd. Okay? We need to go back to the authority of Scripture and the priesthood of every believer. And so I can say, but because we go back to the authority of Scripture and the priesthood of every believer we certainly are following luther bring the mic please to peter
1: bob is that on yeah okay this is a sidebar but i'm i'm a little confused on the the blessing part of this how do we bless god through through obedience
0: okay how do we bless god very good question thanks and by the way ask your questions that was a good question In the Psalms, blessing God means to honor God, to worship God, to to describe glory to God. Bless the Lord, it says in the Psalms. And so you're, you're praising God. It's not that we're imparting something to God he didn't already have. We're ascribing to God who he is and giving honor and thanks to him. Okay, yes. I had one about that, too. It's in, in my translation, which is the ESV. Um, let's see. Find it here. It says, um, he took the bread, and after blessing it, broke it. So it, Yeah, that's that's an unfortunate translation, because it implies something that isn't really how they did it. By partaking in the means of grace, we're blessing God. Yes, we are. And we're saying... God, we need you. Remember Naaman, the very first one of these lectures. I talked about that Naaman in in Kings. He's a leper. He goes to the prophet of God. All right? He needs help. We need to confess to God, I need help. I need what you have for me. And then we thank God, which would mean to bless God. Who is the provider of what we need? Good questions. Thank you. We're going to go to verse 27. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, notice here in a parallel way, he blessed, he gave thanks. He gave to them saying, drink from it, all of you. Now, here's our second or our third imperative in here, drink. So we're commanded to partake of the Lord's Supper. This is a command. It's the third cup of the Passover. Now, we're going to put this in historical perspective, and I think it'll enrich our understanding of God's work of salvation and link the Testaments together and remind us of the continuity of God saving a people and making them his, okay? When he had taken a cup, now, in a Passover, there were four cups, and the four cups corresponded to four promises in Exodus 6, 6 through 7a, okay? Let me read. I still have your attention? All right. Look at these and how wonderful this is to remind us of what God's done for us. You can look it up. Exodus 6, 6. This was on the occasion of being brought out of Egypt. Say, therefore, to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and great judgments. Verse seven, then I will take you for my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. Hallelujah. Wow. If you read the the book of Exodus, you see that God at Sinai said, I brought you to myself on eagles' wings. God took for himself a people. Now, scholars have pointed out, and correctly so, I believe, that this cup that Jesus has here is the third cup of the Passover meal because they don't actually drink the fourth cup in this very special occasion of the institution of the Lord's Supper. Now we're going to see why. They drank the third cup, but not the fourth. And so the third cup is also called in First Corinthians, the cup of blessing, but it corresponds to the promise, "I will redeem you." So the third cup is the cup of redemption. Hallelujah. It's hard not to get excited about this. Remember when Eric was teaching from 1 Corinthians 11, we proclaim the Lord's death. We remember the occasion of our redemption and becoming a people and being brought to God. Wow. So here's Jesus himself in the flesh, God incarnate, having a Passover meal with his own disciples, saying, drink, in the imperative, and it was that third cup, the cup of redemption. Jesus is going to redeem them and make them a people. The fourth cup awaits. We haven't got to Sinai yet. Or the promised land, if you want to use that analogy. We're awaiting our Lord to come and drink it anew in the Father's kingdom. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Verse 28, Matthew twenty-six, twenty-eight. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Now, this adds another or two more important concepts, I should say. The idea of the new covenant and the idea of the forgiveness of sins. And these ideas are very important in our doctrine of the Lord's Supper. The new covenant promises and the forgiveness of sins. Now, some versions have New Covenant, but it was probably added in, but it's the right idea. It is the New Covenant. All right. My blood of the covenant. Now, they had blood of the covenant under the Old Covenant. They sprinkled the blood. It was the blood of the covenant. Animal. What's that? Animal blood. Yeah, it was animal blood. Now, Jesus is about to shed his own blood. And if you want a rich and glorious understanding of this, study the book of Hebrews. Because it talks about the better promises, better savior, better work of grace under the new covenant. And the blood speaks better things than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel cried out for vengeance, whereas the blood of Jesus Christ for mercy. Wow. I can't imagine. Think about it. In our own needs and difficulties, the blood of Jesus is crying out figuratively as a voice, literally as Christ interceding for us at the right hand of God for mercy. Dear Father, have mercy on these ones, my flock, for I died for their sins. That's what it speaks. That's what it says. Let me read to you. If you want to jot this out, maybe turn to it. Hebrews 10:28 and 29. By the way, there's nothing in this presentation that I'm doing or in the text that I'm studying and presenting to you that contradicts what Eric taught and preached from 1 Corinthians 11. This is in perfect agreement. There's some ideas added here that are true and important, like the forgiveness of sins, that you don't find that phrase in First Corinthians 11. But it's all implied in this entire thing. I had a little story to tell you about that. But first, let's do some text here. Hebrews 10, and 20, 29. And anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Verse 29. So there's Moses. You set it aside and say, well, I don't want to listen to Moses. I don't want to obey anybody's law. I'm going to do it my way. I won't even admit that I'm a sinner. I'm not going to go to the Day of Atonement that person died without mercy. They were cut off from the people. Verse 29, just to show the seriousness of the new covenant and the glorious nature of the promises. Hebrews 10, 29, how much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled under foot the son of God and has regarded as unclean The blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted his spirit of grace. Notice this blood of the covenant. The same phrase found in Matthew 26, 28. The blood of the covenant under the new covenant is Jesus' blood shed once for all for the forgiveness of sins. And someone who apostatizes regards that blood as unclean, meaning not fit for divine service. Yes, uh, Peter would like the mic.
1: So this is again reiterating and reinforcing that this is the way to Christ. This is the one way. Yes. There, there aren't other ways that are conveyed through other dogmas or teachings.
0: Yeah, only Christ alone. Thank you. Amen. And there are some who would rather go back to Moses. And Hebrews says if you do that, you've insulted the spirit of grace. There's only one way, one name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. My dear brothers and sisters, how important is Christ? in his own church he paid the penalty he died for sins once for all his innocent blood was spilt which cries out to god for mercy for sinners the lamb of god as john the baptist proclaimed who takes away the sins of the world Christ is so important that in Philippians, when Paul talks about preaching the gospel, he shortens it to preaching Christ. As I've been preaching through Colossians, I've had the privilege of preaching Christ. It alarms me greatly when Christians lose any desire to hear about Christ. I don't know what well they're drinking from. Maybe we forgot our purification from sins. I sure know when I was a new Christian, the people, God bless these simple people who had the gospel, they were all the time talking about, praising, singing about Christ. And who are we going to meet in eternity? First thing we're going to do is run and find Aunt Matilda. Or are we going to want to see the Lord and bow before him? Let's get our priorities right. The blood of the covenant, according to Hebrews, that if we don't take this seriously, this is how we're sanctified by the blood of the covenant. And and the Holy Spirit leads us to the means of grace. And so the one who tramples underfoot, the apostate, has insulted the spirit of grace. Notice the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of grace. Oh, yes. Now, there's a distinction made in the Old Testament. It's found in Numbers 15, 27 through 31. And it has to do with the nature of sin. This is important. Let me read it to you. Numbers 15, 27. For if one person sins unintentionally, then he shall offer a one-year-old female goat for a sin offering. Verse 28, the priest shall make an atonement before the Lord for the person who goes astray when he sins unintentionally, making atonement for him, that he may be forgiven. Notice the ideas of forgiveness there. Verse 29, you shall have one law for him who does anything unintentionally, but for him who is native among the sons of Israel, and for the alien who sojourns among them, verse 30, but the person who does anything defiantly, whether he's native or alien, that one is blaspheming the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from his people. There's the sin of apostasy, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So as you go through life, we're not perfect. We do sin. We come to the Lord's table as sinners needing forgiveness. We're confessing we're sinners. We're confessing we believe Christ died for our sins. We're confessing that we believe that he's coming again. We confess that we believe that his blood was shed once for all for the forgiveness of sins. And that we need him. And there we find grace mercy the intentional defiant one says i'm going to do what i want to do don't talk to me about your religion i don't want to hear any more about this i don't want any slaughterhouse religion we heard that when i was a kid in the liberal church and we insult the spirit of grace so this is a cross reference to hebrews 10 29 which is a cross reference to matthew 26 28 It says in verse 31, Numbers 15, because he despised the word of the Lord, has broken his commandment, that person shall be completely cut off, his guilt will be on him. There's no forgiveness of sins other than through Christ. Now notice it says here back in our text, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Many here is an allusion to Isaiah 53, 12. We'll probably come back to that a little bit later. Release, forgiveness in the Greek aphasis means release to set something loose. Okay, Jesus declared release from sins. Remember when they were gonna lower this guy down in front of Jesus that was lame? And Jesus says, Your sins are forgiven. What happened? Well, they, they said what this is a sick guy and you're going to tell him his sins are forgiven it's crazy nobody can who are you to say sins are forgiven in order that you might know that the son of man has the authority on the earth to forgive sins take up your bed and walk and he demonstrated he has the authority to forgive sins poured out for many the many isaiah 53 12 release comes with the new covenant jeremiah 31 34 i'll come back to this and this is foreshadowed in matthew 121 okay that's how these writers write that's how matthew writes he sets a theme early in matthew that he comes back to toward the end of matthew matthew 121 she will bear a son you shall call his name jesus for he will save his people from their sins. You have to admit you're a sinner. Oh, yes. Come to him humbly. Be I lame or walking, blind or seeing, deaf or hearing, I say, Jesus, my sins weigh heavy upon me. Release me from my sins. I believe in you, and I trust in you. Release from sins is to be proclaimed to all the nations he will save his people from their sins and they may say "Well, we don't want to be saved from our sins we have moses i've kept all these things from my youth up i don't need anything more how many of you know that's a bad idea <laughs> okay i guess we're on the same page now let me tell you a little story quickly here i I, I'm not going to worry. I don't think I'll run out of time, but I might. Well, we got the, already got the best stuff in. I want to look at the New Covenant, and I want to look at some at Isaiah. My friend Chris Roseborough and I were in Libertyville, Illinois, to go to an emergent conference for our research for the writing that we do. And I had written a book on emergent that included a chapter about Juergen Moltmann, who was speaking there. And we got in on an emergent communion service, and I mentioned this before. Some of you may have heard me tell a story. That was the creepiest, weirdest thing I have ever been at under the auspices of religion. They had music that I had never heard, and it was creepy music. It was, um, it was the kind of. Uh, the kind of music they'd play in a haunted house would be an upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I mean, I don't even know how to describe it. It was so bad. Was, and uh, Very melancholy and, and And they were calling the Holy Spirit she, rather than he, as the biblical authors did. And Chris Roseboro sitting right next to me, and, I, and I'm getting, I, I wanted to out, I wanted to get out. It's so creepy. I said, Chris, we, we got to get out of here. We were sitting at the back. We got to get out of here. And he said, no, I'm here for research. I want to know what they say when they break the bread. This is so bad. And Chris says, they're calling down the goddess. By using this weird music, they were calling down the Holy Spirit, who was she. So the goddess is going to come. And I wanted out before the goddess showed up. (laughs) (laughs) And they broke the bread and said some things, and they were going to go from there. And we did get out. We finally just bolted out. But here's what Chris said. Where is the forgiveness of sins? Well, they don't have that because they don't really have the concept of sin okay yes Peter
1: inquiring minds Bob for those of us that aren't familiar with the term emergent can you say what you mean by that
0: well it's a movement uh, postmodern movement that believes that the processes of history are emerging into some new better thing Based on the philosophy of Hegel, it's really strange. I can't, in a nutshell, so they,
1: it's it's universalistic. So the truth is evolving.
0: Is yeah. In fact, the idea of truth is questioned. You can't really know truth, and if you claim you do, that's a huge faux pas. Is that, did I say that right? Yes, you did. Yeah. They
1: don't
0: I'm, want it to be defined. Yeah, they don't want to define. Yeah, I wrote about it, and I published a book on this.
1: Yeah, um, the, the uh, communion is about remembering Christ's death until He comes, not about forgiveness of sins, isn't it?
0: Well, what does it say here? It says
1: forgiveness of sins. Yeah, yeah exactly.
0: Taking communion
1: doesn't forgive your sins, does it?
0: Christ's blood pays the price once for all. Communion assures us of the forgiveness of sins. We're not claiming that we're unforgiven and then as soon as we eat and drink, suddenly forgiveness comes to us. But the blood of Jesus is given once for all, and it is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so what Chris was mentioning was that upon the Lord's Supper, the occasion of the Lord's Supper, the assurance of the forgiveness of sins... It's important, okay, because people are wondering, am I okay? Is God going to receive me? Am I going to be part of the eschatological banquet? Isn't that what the Catholics
1: believe, that communion forgives your sins?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, the Catholic mass is way beyond that. We're not saying forgiveness of sins comes and goes and comes and goes and comes and goes. We always have it. But we're commanded by Jesus to do this, to remember the grounds by which we do have forgiveness. Eric, you know, um, Bob, I was just thinking of uh, Dan's
1: question with regarding Catholicism. They believe in something called ex opere operato, by, by the act done. done. Yeah. So, in other words, they would—they obviously are re-sacrificing
0: Christ in a bloodless way, but they're thinking by the act done. Especially in baptism, they think that baptism regenerates. So. What we're saying is this is a means by which we remember by faith what Christ has done. So it's not the act that saves. It's we remember the act of Christ that did save. So it's an expression of our faith. So the Catholic doctrine is ex opere operato, by the act done. It's the deed done, the religious act that saves. But then if you sin again, you're right back where you were. Exactly, back to step Okay. Whereas we have the blood... Believe the first John, the blood continue Lenses. I got to keep moving. Twenty-six, twenty-nine. Matthew twenty-six, twenty-nine. But I say to you now. Remember that third cup was the cup of redemption. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, in my opinion, not enough emphasis has historically been given to this. You find it in 1 Corinthians 11, and you find it in Matthew 26. The promise of the return of Christ, in which he will participate in a messianic banquet of rejoicing with all of the redeemed from all of the ages. will recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom. Then Jesus said, and you'll be cast out to the religious leaders that didn't want him. I will not, in the Greek is a strong negation, not until Matthew eight eleven. I already quoted this. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. We published an article for CIC called Dining with the King and, and it puts it in perspective from Genesis to Revelation if you want to read that article. Revelation 19, let me do it right now. Revelation 19, 7 through 9. Eric, you'll remember this verse, won't you? It led to a huge upheaval. The kind of a around way led to us being here now. Revelation 19, seven, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And it was given to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. But then he said to me, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. These are the true words of God. We're invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. There will be the fourth cup. Jesus didn't have it with him that night because we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting. And it's one of these times the Lord will come and we'll have that fourth cup together with all the seeds, Old and new Testament. Oh, Yeah. Don't listen to people say, oh, Abraham, Isaac are going to have to go somewhere else because this is just for New Testament. That's not what it says here. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will be part of this. Then uh, I'm running out of time, but Matthew 22, if you want to jot this down, Matthew 22, 2 through 9. Remember they invited, they had a wedding feast for the son, and people didn't want to go to it. Nah, we don't feel like going to a wedding. If you see the ancient Near East in, in Israel, that was really bad to turn down an invitation for the king's son. That would start a war. You'd probably die. You just don't do that. Hey, I'm the king. My son's going to have a wedding feast. You're invited. No, thanks. very very bad and so they wouldn't go and he sent others and they wouldn't come and the other ones didn't want to come and then he says in verse 9 go out of the highways and as many as you find there invite to the wedding feast my dear brothers and sisters that's us we weren't nobility we weren't on the king's list we were out on the highways and byways and we got invited to the wedding feast of the son every time we have communion we're looking forward and saying even so come quickly lord jesus you can look up amos nine thirteen to 15 yourself it's about the wine at the wedding feast in the future Verse 30, Matthew twenty-six thirty. After singing a hymn, a house, he is scriptural. Now this, by the way, a hymn meant the Psalms. Okay, the Hallel Psalms. So some will say, see, you should sing hymns and not gospel songs. We're just reading more into this than, than what the text will bear. But we should sing to the Lord. Okay, after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So this is just before Jesus is crucified. And traditionally, after the third cup, which they had just had, the third cup, cup of redemption, they would sing Psalm 115 through 118. Well, I've I've seen others added to this list, but for sure, 115 through 118. These are prophetic. And when you hear... What they probably sang as they left having that third cup, it's amazing. Let me go back here, and, you know, I'm going to go for, keep going forward here. We've got about 10 minutes. We'll get to that. I'm going to show you some of those psalms later in this lecture. First of all, we want to go back now and talk about, this is kind of my applications, the New Covenant, Jeremiah 31, 33-34. I'll quote to you 31, 32, and then we'll read what's up here on the screen. 31: Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke although I was a husband to them, declared the Lord. Now, this is cited in Hebrews chapter 8. Now, which covenant was it that he made on the day he took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt? Mosaic covenant. And Hebrews 8 cites this, claiming that the Mosaic covenant was superseded and done away with. That's the old covenant that's called obsolete in Hebrews. The new covenant is the one instituted by Jesus. Oh, what an offense to the Lord when churches say, we don't want Jesus, we want Moses. Paul fought that strongly and harshly in the book of Galatians. Now we go to verse 33, but this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart, I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. By the way, that's the covenant formula under the old Testament. I will be your God. You will be my people. That's the most important promise in the Bible. I will be your God. You will be my people. That's eternal salvation. Now, under the new covenant, they will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least to the greatest of them declares the Lord, Notice this, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. There it is again. No wonder Jesus mentioned the forgiveness of sins when he was talking about the blood of the covenant this is what new covenant promise it says in hebrews the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sins because they had to be offered over and over and over and over but jesus was offered once for all all of the new covenant people know the lord our sins are washed away our sins are forgiven we are under the new covenant not like shows that this supersedes the mosaic covenant i'm going to keep moving forward here isaiah 53 10 and 11 i there's so much to be said here about this but let me read it but the lord was pleased to crush him putting him to grief if he would render himself as a guilt offering He will see his offspring, he will prolong his days. Notice the death and then prolonged days, the resurrection. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand as the result of the anguish of his soul. He will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. There's that term, the many. This is the blood of the covenant poured out for many. It's allusion to Isaiah 53. This allusion also is found in Romans chapter 5. Justify the many and bear their iniquities. So we have new covenant promises found in Isaiah 53 and Jeremiah 31. Now the singing—I can't resist it. I want to make sure I had time for this. They're singing hallel song. Hallel simply means praise. So they're singing praise. Psalms, which would be 115 through 118 at the end of the Passover. After the third cup, they're singing. And if you're thinking of Steve Ziff's teachings on Wednesday night, I think you'll like verse 3 here, okay? Not to us, O Lord, verse 1 of Psalm 115, not to us, but to your name give glory. Because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. Why should the nations say, where now is their God? Notice verse 3. But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Wow. That'd be a good verse for our ones in high class. (laughs) What does God do? Whatever he pleases. He's sovereign. They're singing about that as they're leaving the, the Passover. God brings glory to his name by sending his own son to die for sins once for all the just for the unjust in order to bring us to God this Jesus he raised from the dead who appeared to many witnesses and a bodily ascended into heaven where he ever lives to make intercession for us this was something I've emphasized Jesus is interceding for us at the throne You don't need some lesser intermediary. What an affront to Jesus when people say, well, I don't think Jesus cares about me. I'm going to go to Mary. It's an affront. It's offensive to God. It insults the blood of the covenant. God gives glory to his own name by saving a people for himself. Our last slide. As they're on their way to the Mount of Olives... As the cross hangs over their proceedings, where Christ will soon accomplish his death, they're continuing to sing Psalm 115, Psalm 116, Psalm 117, and then they come to Psalm 118 and they prophesy. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone this is the Lord's doing and is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus himself applied this to himself and they were singing it, most likely. After the third cup, thinking about Jesus, who will come again at some future unknown date and have the fourth cup with them. Okay. All of that's... Implied as the background when we partake of the Lord's Supper. I finished teaching on means of grace. There's charts there again that give you the basic idea. And now I hope you understand why the Lord's Supper is a means of grace. It's a means of remembrance and proclamation and hope. Let me read to you Acts 4. 11 and 12 i'm going to begin now in two weeks after eric teaches sunday school for the next two weeks i'll be back here i'll be preaching those weeks i'm going to start in acts i'll start with chapter three i've already preached through one and two and those recordings are available but i'm going to start with chapter three but when we get to chapter four here's a preview he is the stone which was rejected by you the builders but which became the chief cornerstone. Verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Here is Peter applying the truth of Psalm 118 to the Jewish leadership as he preaches the gospel do you know jesus christ today are you saved and are your sins forgiven let's close in prayer heavenly father we thank you for your marvelous work it's marvelous in our eyes because this is your doing that us unworthy sinners would have a savior who promises to come again and to dine with us in the Messianic kingdom. And so we say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, in thy holy name, amen. Thank you for listening to all of these uh, teachings on means of grace. Thank you. (laughs)